to No Plot, Only Lore, a podcast about games and the tables we play them at. Your DMs tonight and every night are Josh and Chris. You can find us on all podcast platforms or check us out at noplotonlylore.com. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review the show and share it with everyone you've ever met. Hey, it's me, Editing Chris. Um, look, I'm trying to remember a lot of details about some games I haven't played in a really long time. So occasionally I'm going to forget some of the, the finer details involved in that. I will forget things like the fact that in Rifts your attributes do in fact have some impact on your skills, although it is admittedly minor. Or that uh, Ars Magica's troop system is a little bit different than what is described here. And I'm actually more describing a game called Chivalry. And uh, I hope that you're willing to forgive me those little foibles. So, with that in mind, please enjoy. Alright, so for this episode we decided to do something a little bit different. In that... Josh does not play a huge amount of other role-playing games. You are primarily a D&D player. I have played maybe three total systems in my life. I've played... I'm combining 4th and 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons. I have dabbled in... Uh, I think it was called Paranoia. And I have looked at Pathfinder, but that's it. Like a like a brief longing no, look, or no, way. Kind of a cursory, disgusting look. With, with just, <laughs> with okay. derision and ire. Uh, By comparison, I love every game I've ever gotten my hands on, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and I I have played a lot of them. I have played a like when I when I got my job at the game store. Part of the reason that I got that is I flipped over my resume and I wrote down a list of all of the game systems that I was familiar with. Like, not even just the ones that I had ever played, but specifically the ones that I could, like, tell you the mm. rules of them. And the list took up the entire back of the, the page. <laughs> like, it, it was a lot my, of fun games. My list would literally be two entries. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of, like, the... BS that White Wolf gets up to. Um, mm -hmm. I was intrigued by the idea of there. There was a I forget the name of it. I saw a role playing game that was like, "Hey, what if everything was one of those like Wuxia Kung Fu movies?" And I was like, "That sounds great," but I never knew anyone who played it. Was it Hong Kong Action Sorry? Theater? Was it Hong Kong no, Action Theater? No, no, no. It was more like the the stylized fantasy kung fu. Oh, okay. I, uh scion no i want to say like it's i know it's not like infinity or something like that but it was like some single word it was very um anime no i don't think so because white wolf did put out like a, a fantasy game now i'm blanking yeah, on its name well. uh where everybody was like a, a sailor moon or a goku yeah, this one is clo um, closer to everyone's Goku. Yeah. Yeah. Ascension. Oh, that might be it. it. Yeah. That might be it. I don't think it is, but it might be. Um, yeah, so I, I have played that game. Okay. Uh, it was 
terrible. I did not like playing that game very much at all. But I think that was mostly because of the people that I was playing with. Like, it was very much a, a power gamer fantasy. Yeah, fair. That one. Um, but what I kind of figured we would do today, I've got 20 different games that I have put a list together for. And we are going to pick one at random. And I am going to describe it to you. And you are going to tell me what you think based on that description. Okay. I, right, yeah. So. When you first pitched this idea to me, you specifically mentioned just like the idea that I will have a negative reaction to every one of these. Um, oh, I don't think you will. Not every well, one of them. True. But Most when, of them. Like, just when you floated that idea, <laughs> on the one hand, I was like, immediately just angry that i would be typecast in such a way but true but also like genuinely like grateful that you understood who i am as a person <laughs> <laughs> fuck you yeah. for knowing who i am and then making me fuck do that you for thing <laughs> pegging me exactly at who i am <laughs> all right so i have rolled a d20 and the number that I have come up on is number five, TMNT and Other Strangeness. Okay. So how familiar are you with the ideas behind like Rifts and Palladium Fantasy? Rifts I know of as the dumb RPG where you can do whatever because they just refuse to stop publishing books. Oh no, I'm thinking of GURPS. <laughs> then... Okay. Yeah, same difference. Uh, and then Palladium, I know the name and that's it. Okay, so Palladium Books got the rights to make the role-playing game for Teenage Mutant okay. Ninja Turtles. And then they made one of the best worst role-playing games I have ever seen. And it really is the only one that I've seen that kind of captures the idea of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the goofiness that is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, just the it's inherent like the stupidity in the idea of here are five repti four reptiles and a rat from the sewer that somehow know Kung Fu and are going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, your character creation is all based on random huh? tables. Yeah, you're rolling percentile dice on random tables to figure out what kind of weird-ass music Oh, you, you know what? I... I forgot that there was another RPG that I was vaguely familiar with that um, Wizards put out. Uh, oh, what was the name of it? It's uh, it was uh, they did they it, they reprinted it around the fourth edition time, and it did a very similar thing where you just rolled two d twenty, and that was the two mutations you got, and then that defined your character, and you just wandered off. Shoot. I am not familiar with the thing that you are saying, but it sounds like it's exactly... I, I have it in the basement somewhere for sure. I've, I, I, <laughs> as far as I know, they published a like a base box set, and then that was it. And right. you never saw it again. Okay. Neat. Yeah. I'll try and figure okay. out what it well, is while we go. In, in this one, yeah. So it, it suffers from all okay. of the same problems that uh, the Palladium Fantasy and rifts systems deal with which is that it was designed very much in like the the late 1980s everything has to be like okay. D, D era of gaming so you've got like 
nine attributes, but your attributes don't actually affect anything. Why? Right. They're they're just a, a guide for how strong you are, but they don't actually affect anything on rolls. They're they're just for flavor. Yeah, they they tell you how strong your what? character do. Um, yeah, no, and uh, there's like a hundred and fifty skills, and some of the skills are a percentile based system. So you roll two d10s, make that into a one hundred die, and then if you rolled under your skill percentage, then you succeeded in the skill. And that's based entirely on your level. You get five, like plus five percent per level in a skill that you're trained okay. in. Uh, so like the, the system itself is bad uh-huh. and wrong in so many ways, but the character creation is just so fun <laughs> that like it kind of makes up for it. And you're like, I, I was willing to forgive it a lot just to be able to like roll a bunch of dice and be like. I'm a half-bat dolphin man who knows karate. Uh, <laughs> like, I, 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 I can get behind the idea of your startup is sort of random um, because it's mutations and mutations are un- inherently uncontrollable. But the idea that like the basic part of creating your character that helps define who that character is doesn't translate into anything that matters is really obnoxious to me oh deeply yeah it's one of my biggest issues with all of the palladium books systems like because palladium books uses the same basic system in all of its games um and that system has not changed since the last edition of Rifts. Came when was out. that? I believe it was in the early 1990s. Jesus. So, like, they've been running with the same system for a very, very long time and have a lot of promises saying that they're not going to be updating their what? system. And, uh, yeah, a lot of their games suffer from being late 1980s, early 1990s game design like i just i don't understand what's happening on any level at that company then like so they're, they're not making anything new which means they have nothing new to sell to people fundamentally oh no they make source books like you but it's not, not new it's just reflavoring the same thing over and over like do they think that they perfected the oh, role-playing game in 1991 or something yes god damn it yeah, it's it's perfect. Are any additional changes to the system? Um, what they're the... focusing on is putting out content that is specific to like certain areas or certain ideas. So if you want to get the like shiniest, newest gun that has all of the the best like stats on it, then you got to pick up this new source book. Uh... And they they make money. People do like they? To buy. Oh, they do. Uh... I just, I don't get how you as a consumer could sit there and see all of the like iterations and ideas and like new, just new gaming, like we'll call it like technologies that are developed over time as, as ideas come out and are refined and stripped away and, and become commonplace and then look back at your book that was published like the last time the Oilers won a cup, 
And we're like, <laughs> yep, this is good. I'm happy with the way things are. I think like part, part of it is reactionary. So part of it comes from the rise of third edition D&D, um, where a lot of people, in a similar way to how people were upset at the advent of fourth edition D&D, people were upset that third edition D&D was becoming a thing. And so they wanted things to stay the same. They wanted second edition, uh, second edition D&D to stay the thing. And so Kevin Simbeta and the folks at Palladium Books were like, hey, if you want a system that's never going to change, we got one right here. So is is their entire audience just like the same group of 50-year-old men who have been playing since the Hell 90s? No. It's teenagers. Teenagers fucking love rifts, man. Why? So a lot of it comes down to, I think, the world building. Right? Like okay. The, as goofy as it is for a couple of like 30, 40 year old men to look at a place where like a dragon punches a mecha robot in the face uh, to a 17 year old boy who loves science fiction and fantasy. That's the coolest fucking thing that's ever happened. Okay. But even if that's like sort of cool on a surface level, eventually you have to start playing a game and then you realize that this game is just the same dumb shit over and over. Like, I could, if I wanted to, I could put a mecha dragon into my 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons if I just do a little bit of work, and then it's there. Like, they're just, they're admiring the paint job on a rusted out fucking K-car. Yeah. It's that hot rod that's been sitting in the garage for like 30 years and doesn't run anymore, but the paint job's real pretty. I want to be clear. It is not a hot rod. <laughs> <laughs> I said K-Car for yeah, a reason. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. Fair. Yeah. No, it's uh, like I, I kind of admire the the dedication to sticking to the same system for as long as they have. The um, sheer fucking hubris. <laughs> I wouldn't even necessarily say that because like I've met Kevin Sembeta and he is a really sweet dude he's very excited like I've never met anybody as excited about his own game as that guy um, I, I don't know if it's hubris or if it's just like disinterest in all of that technology like he, he doesn't care about any of that he just wants to keep playing games like he did in like 1985 in some little dinky place in Indianapolis, you know? I, I I guess there's something somewhat admirable about, like, the... There's this idea that, like, if you're such a simpleton that your basic life is just always exciting and, and fun for you because you just don't have a the ability to comprehend the reality around you, then that's like somewhat admirable, but I don't know if I want that in my tabletop role playing <laughs> game. Uh, if Palladium books comes after us, I'm blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm fine with making enemies. Uh, you, you, you I'm, do know I'm not that... saying he's a bad person. I'm just saying oh, like no. to be stuck in a rut of simplicity for 30 something years is not where I would want my gaming 
time to be spent? You've heard how he's responsible for the like creation of Magic the Gathering, right? No. As far as I know, Magic the Gathering fell fully formed out of Sir Richard Garfield's head and <laughs> so, was perfect. Um, back in, I think it was like the mid-90s, just as Wizards of the Coast was becoming a thing, they were publishing one of their earliest modules and they hadn't even like they hadn't bought D and D yet, right? Cause they didn't have magic. They didn't have magic money. Um, and one of the things that they put on the back of one of these early modules, and it was supposed to be like a, a generic module was all of the games that it was compatible with. And one of the games that they listed was Palladium fantasy. And so Kevin Sembeta sued them. And during that suit, they weren't allowed to publish any role-playing game material. So he needed to find another project, so he went to his old math professor, Richard Garfield, and was like, hey, do you got a game kicking around in your brain pan that I could make a bazillion dollars off of? Huh. And that's why Wizards of the Coast began making Magic the Gathering. Because they weren't allowed to make D&D products anymore because Palladium was suing them. Well, I bet you that guy feels dumb. Nah, he's talked about it. He, he still stands by it. Uh, <laughs> okay right. uh, yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna roll for our next game here okay sounds good this the, it's already gotten more time than it deserves yeah we're we're at like 18 minutes or well actually i don't know what time that would be but anyway uh so i got rolled number 10 uh nobilis i've heard this word before you have it is one of my favorite concepts for a role-playing game. So Nobilis... Oh, wait, wait. Before we get rolling down this hill, I did find the name of what I was thinking of. It is Gamma World. Oh, yeah, Gamma World. Gamma World's great. Yeah, yeah. Gamma World's been around forever, and yeah. it did that cool randomize the start of your character, but that actually doesn't super matter. Anyways. No. Yeah, it's it's a good game. Sort of. For, for the time that it was made, it was a great game. Yeah. All right, so Nobilis... Nobilis is a game where you play a person who, up until last Thursday, was a perfectly normal human being. Okay. And kind of out of nowhere, a god walked past, tore out a chunk of your soul, and filled the hole with god stuff. Hmm. You are now the god of doors. Sorry? You are now the god of doors, or grass, or chessboards, or some concept is now your domain. And you have a existential responsibility to protect and expand that domain at all costs against the horrifying um, threat of the excrucians who are slowly tearing reality apart from the outside. So I need to leverage my command of doors to keep the bad out? Not just to keep the bad out, but you also need to expand the role of doors. So um, you would oh. occasionally get into like political fights with the god of windows who's trying to make bay windows a big deal because they're going to replace doors entirely. And you're like, no, no, bay windows are terrible. They're just a lesser french door or sliding glass door more people should have sliding glass doors instead of bay windows because they're more functional and you can and even have a then, patio a sliding glass door is too much like a window for me let's kibosh it entirely <laughs> like, oh i see right and so you're like it's i'm a conservative doorsman <laughs> but like your your whole 
like the whole concept of the game is that you are playing like the god of a domain who is trying to like protect and expand that domain and the rest of the players around the table are also gods of various things and the god can like the the thing that you're the god of can be literally any concept um concept doors aren't a concept doors are a concept what the idea of a thing that closes to stop you from moving through a portal is a concept does a door have to close though i don't know man you're the god of doors Uh, not me all right so that i could just (laughs) decide to expand my realm from uh wooden interior doors to um any archway through a uh, fixed wall divider something and now i'm the god of all entrance ways as well well no because if you decided that you wanted like all arched entrance ways to fall into your domain you would probably end up in competition with the god of arches yeah well okay right and that's kind of where the the like the, the conflict in the game comes from is that there are all of these competing ideas that are trying to find preeminence in the world and you are now the personification of one of those ideas and so everyone else at the table is also one of those personifications? Yeah. So it's just a game about arguing with your friends? Not always, because like, if you're the god of doors and your friend is the god of grass, mm-hmm. right? there's not a lot of places where you guys are going to disagree, but there's yeah, a few places where you do agree, like front, front lawns. You want to separate the front lawn from the house, but it's good to have one. Right. Right. And when the the god of grass starts moving in on, like, marijuana territory, because that's what they're calling it, grass, then maybe the god of doors is going to help out with that. Okay. (laughs) And so, one of the things that I love about this game is that it's diceless. So, you have um, stats that you compare to the difficulty of a thing, and if your stat is higher than that thing, then you just automatically win. The scale of those stats is crazy. So at like a 1, you're slightly lower or lower than human average. At a 2, you're a human average. At a 6, you're able to beat somebody to death with a galaxy. Uh, that escalated rapidly. <laughs> right? Uh, it's it's where, a very quick scale. <laughs> where does the scale end? What is the top end of those numbers? There isn't one. Oh, what i guess okay i guess we're gods so yeah um and like some gods are more powerful than others um there's like a council of uh beings that like rule over the the rest of the gods one of them is lord entropy who is just the god of the end of things right right um actually one of my favorite uh turns of phrase from any role-playing game book ever um was that there was a, a group of people who were trying to figure out uh, why nobody wanted to bone Lord Entropy. And it... there was like a scientific council that was convened for this. And they eventually determined that while he is definitely like a hot Bishonen dude, uh, kissing him would be an awful lot like licking Dryerland. All right. <laughs> I just, I love that phrase. I love the idea that kissing somebody would be like licking Dryerland. It is so perfectly disgusting. I'm going to try it out just to get a frame of reference. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I'm not a fan of the idea of diceless systems. 
mm-hmm. um, because I I like adding just a little bit of uncertainty into everything. Oh, um, uh, I didn't get to the last bit, which is that you also have a bidding system. Okay. So you have a number of points tucked away. They're called miracle points. Right. And when you want to do something that is above your normal stat limit, you can spend one of these points to up your limit by that much. Okay. Um, but other people can try to outbid you. Right. Right. And so that's where the, the uncertainty in the system comes from. How much are you willing mm. to bid on this thing? Somebody else is willing to outbid you. Do you bid on something else to try and like circumvent it? Should okay. I touch but my... how, how do you get those points? Uh, they are regenerated at the beginning of the session. Okay. So then it's not uncertain. You just have to pay attention. It and may, then, and then you're just doing math. Like I, I know there how many points math. I have. But like, I know what I have. <laughs> if, if you're dealing with a couple of different scenarios and you're not sure if you're going to need those points later in a session, um, that's where a bit of that tension comes in. It, tension, sure, but like I'm talking about like putting in like chance in a, in a more concrete way, where like mm-hmm. it's not purely deterministic you know there's still it just might go wrong it might just not work out no matter how good you are at it um i I would like to point out though that we are playing a game where you're playing a god so the system being deterministic does make sense i i suppose but we're still (laughs) playing a tabletop role-playing game i mean yeah there's still got to be a game in there i think if it's require chance I would say in a lot of cases, yes. Okay, that, that is the I subject know, for... I know like the counter-argument is like Go or Chess or whatever, but... Um, chess is a solved game, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, Chess is a terrible game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If we're just sitting around like doing a just pure like improv storytelling then that's fine that is what it is but role-playing games i think need to still incorporate like game stuff okay does that that make sense we're gonna do an entire episode just on like fortune yeah yeah yeah. So, like, I don't, I don't want to get too terribly deep into that, but uh, you're wrong and I'll prove it. Okay. Nah, well, huh. <laughs> you know what? Let's just cut it off right here. We'll record a different hour of argument and then come back. All right. All right. Okay, moving uh, on from Diceless Garbage. Yeah, moving on from Diceless Garbage. Uh, the Shab Alhiri Roach. Nope. So the Shabal Hiri Roach is a game where you play a person connected to a college or a university where a prominent scientist has just come back from Egypt with the Shabal Hiri Roach, which is a, a priceless artifact. And somebody at the school has eaten it. Why? Because it promised them power. Okay. And then it gave it to them. Okay. And so 
the Shabal Hiri Roach is a role playing game that has like some Cthulhu esque features to it. It's very storytelling based. It's very narrative driven. Um, but each of your characters is tempted by the Roach to fulfill their wildest dreams at the cost of losing um, yourself to the evil that is the Roach. Okay. So, um, I right off the bat, my main problem with this is that it sounds like just a singular experience, and maybe it's like a longer format than normal, but this doesn't seem like a a system or a a world to inhabit and, and play around with and try variations on. It's just like, okay, this is the main thrust of the story and it's going to play out like this and you just kind of go through that story and then at the end of it it's like it's like it's like doing one of those like murder mystery boxes at a at a party where it's it like, okay absolutely was, like that yep. yeah okay then yep. it doesn't belong on this list get out of get it out of here <laughs> um it, it does have role-playing game elements um but the okay, well, so does charades, but like I don't would put that on here. <laughs> um, I have not had an opportunity to play the Shabal Harry Roach, but it's from what I understand one of the better games that you can pick up for one shots. Okay, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely has big one shot energy. Like if this is anything yep. more than fifteen dollars. It's garbage and doesn't deserve to be printed. But <laughs> if it's something where it's like, hey, we've got nothing going on this Saturday. Let's tell ourselves a story about eating a bug. <laughs> Magic science bug. Whatever. Magic science bug. All okay, right. we're uh, done with that. Next. We're done with that. We hate that. All right, cool. Uh, Doe, Pilgrims of the Flying Temple. All right. Um, so far... Off to a good start. Sounds like a movie that I would have watched. Uh, this one is um, loosely based on a mashup between um, the worlds of The Little Prince and Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, you've got me 50%. Okay. Which one is the 50? Avatar. Oh, we, we didn't like The Little Prince? Nope. Uh, eh, no. Just no. We'll just stay with no. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll have a discussion about that later, because that's one of my favorite books. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't read, so... Oh, okay. No, that's fair. Um, so Doe, Pilgrims of the Flying Temple, is about a group of young pilgrims who are studying with the Flying Temple that have to go on a quest to help people. Okay. And they go from planet to planet... And they're, they're very tiny, like, themed planets uh, in each of these cases. And you come to a planet, and you have a challenge that is put in front of you. And you can either help or hinder. So there's your character sheet is two things. It is the way that you help and the way that you hurt. Okay. And, so, and when you arrive at this planet, one or the other of those things may take precedence. The thing that I love about this game is that it's actually a writing game. Huh? So each of the players writes a section of the story that they're playing based on whether they're helping or hindering 
the the plot at that moment and the way that the uh ending is determined for that that session is whether or not you included all of the key words that were established at the beginning for the goal of this story oh my god um this is NaNoWriMo the board game. <laughs> um, oh, you know, I never thought about it like that, but I kind of love that description. <laughs> uh, like a, this sounds like wankery made up by professional authors just to be like, hey, everyone, actually, my job is very cool and you should try it. It was actually invented by a uh, graphic I don't designer. Care. Whatever. Uh, Daniel Solis. And it's great. <laughs> it's, I think, like the the age that it is aimed at is uh-huh. lower. So we're looking okay. at like um, the twelve to fifteen age category, where we're trying to like teach them better basic literacy. Those, yeah, like better up the literacy literacy skills, get them writing on a regular yeah. basis, and try and find ways to make writing fun. And honestly, like I've played the game, and it is fun. And it's actually more difficult than I would have thought to get the list of words for the session into that story. Yeah, because writing isn't fun. Writing is so much fun. No. Writing (laughs) is the funnest thing you can do, Josh. Writing is either an absolute chore or your job, and that's it. All right, so we're not playing Doe Pilgrims of the Flying Temple together. No, it's unfortunate because like it definitely sounds like the name of like a '60s era kung fu movie, which like mm-hmm. awesome, I'm down for. But I'm also not down for homework as a form of entertainment. Um, Fair. So no, that one's gone. You keep calling certain things on this list good or amazing. Are are these all selections that you? approve of in this list or they're going to be oh, somewhere no. okay good no um the next one is something that i approve of on this list we've we've actually been really fortunate in this list so far and that we've come across a bunch of things that i actually really like that's bad um, for content it i mean <laughs> it's fun listening to you complain about it well okay all right what's the next one give me the right, next so thing the next to bitch one, about yeah the next thing to bitch about actually i think you might like this one more than i did it is 316 carnage among the stars that's not a real bible verse um i mean which bible are you reading well mine has lots of 316s and none of them are preceded (laughs) by are followed by carnage among the stars actually okay if i flipped (laughs) open my bible and in the book of john came across 316 and like the header for the section was carnage among the stars i would be pumped to learn what the hell kind of business jesus had just gotten up to like this is definitely one of the extra books that's in the catholic bible oh yeah yeah 100 percent apocryphal yeah uh, book yeah it's great um so 316 carnage among the stars is an incredibly simple game where you have two stats one of them is your kill ability, and one of them is your not kill ability. So, this sounds exactly like the last game. Um, sort of, except in this one you are rolling dice and you are killing monsters, and you do have oh. a mission. Um, and it is no, entirely uh, verbal. There's and no I'm just writing. Not doing involved. a book report on a Saturday. 
<laughs> um, no, you're not doing a book report. You're killing a bunch of uh, awful alien monsters. Okay. Um, and the the thing that I like about this one in particular is that you don't know your character's backstory when you start the game. Ooh, interesting. You learn the character's backstory through flashbacks that happen in the game. Okay. That provide you a mechanical bonus related to that flashback. Interesting. So while you are down on the planet and like the, the setup for this is that you are like a, it, it's very, um, Starship Troopers, right? Like okay. Just a, a grunt. That I'm a Marine. I'm lines. a space Marine. Yep. You're there to shoot a bunch of bugs until the bugs be dead. And if you don't do it fast enough, then we're just going to nuke the planet. Okay. Um, you are there to try and gather as many kills as possible so that you're able to get a promotion, uh, get yourself rewards, get yourself uh, like a whole bunch of titles and things. And most of them are going to be posthumous, but worth it. Okay. Um, and so while you're down there, we don't actually know who you are until you get into a point where you need something to help you mechanically. And you need to come up with like a reason in your backstory that you're going to get that little extra oomph. Oh, okay. Um, and so, like, it's built into the game that you can have these little soliloquies where you are narrating a story from your past to the rest of the, the team. And then at the end of it, you get a plus two to your die roll, right? Like, what? it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's very much built towards... Again, one shots like it's a it's a smaller game. You don't necessarily want to have like an entire world built yeah, around I was, it. I was gonna say when you talk about like posthumous decorations, that doesn't <laughs> bode well for the longevity of this particular game. Yeah, no, you're you're gonna do like a one shot. You might do like a couple of sessions before your entire team dies. Right. Um, but yeah, the the point is mostly to discover your character through play. Interesting. So um, this reminds me of uh there was a idea floating around i forget exactly where i first came across it it might have been like a, a clipped tumblr post on reddit or something but the idea being you uh you start a new campaign in D D, um and as the dm you hand out um blank character sheets to everyone and then they just start playing and learn who or what their characters are through uh, little bits of context clues and information you hand out as you go. Right. Like, can I see um, anything in that cavern? Well, as a dragonborn, you do have uh, yeah, night yeah, vision. Exactly. Yeah, like, oh, exactly, shit, I'm a dragonborn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or not not even that you just be like oh well yes uh your dark vision allows you to, oh i have dark vision oh okay like yeah. um yeah stuff like that so even giving them like, like less to deal with but i thought that was kind of a a fun idea and i think it would actually be better served in a one shot like this um i've actually used that as session one for some yeah, games. yeah, yeah. Um, not not so much like the discovery of who the characters are, but like um, we start off with blank character sheets and like no skills or anything written down. Uh, and the one that I'm thinking of in particular, uh, everybody is in an orphanage that's on fire. Okay. And so we don't know who these characters are yet. We're going to discover through that first session. And then at the end of that session, we're going to build characters. I see. I see. 
Um, so it, you get an idea of who your character is before you actually start like getting into the the meat of the campaign. This also does sound like, and uh, maybe this is something to talk about in a separate episode about um, using these games as it like combined with other games, um, not just on their own, but uh, the the idea of a like one shot ish uh, sort of iterative game like 316 carnage um being used to like decide who you're going to play over the course of a longer campaign maybe in a different uh system but uh it it reminds me of i don't know if you've ever read it probably my favorite um ttrpg uh i don't know what what exactly the right word is for basically someone's got a campaign that they've been um uh, then taking and, and taking all their notes of and rewriting as a narrative. Um, but it's, it's called the all guardsman party. Um, and it is a game that was run in the, uh, dark heresy 40 K, uh, RPG. And the first, I'm not sure exactly how long as far as sessions go, but the first chunk of the campaign, uh, was, the dm for the game having everyone make you know the the idea being in this setting you can have all sorts of different characters but we're all going to play various types of of imperial guardsmen who are just your your run-of-the-mill space soldiers um and everyone makes a character great and then that squad gets sent to the front lines uh, because there's a Tyranid invasion and they have to hold them off. And over the course of several different, I think several different sessions, but you were told, don't just bring the one character, bring several characters. Mm-hmm. And then as the, the, the initial couple of, well, basically we'll say like the, the they run one shot dungeons, which are like, glorified single encounters as part of this war and not everyone's going to make it it's very lethal because that's the way the world is um and so you just that guy's dead grab another character sheet and you go through all the character sheets you've already made grab a blank one and make a new guy and you just sort of like very quickly force people to make a bunch of really weird ideas because they've run out of good characters that are now dead (laughs) um and then the dm basically takes whoever's left after they've run this entire you know company of people through a meat grinder and says okay these are the guys that survived the whole campaign or or rather survived the whole like deployment now that's who the party is going to be Hmm. like just a character creation by attrition yeah it's the the first session is your crucible yeah exactly um and it made for some really I think interesting and compelling characters because you know, as I'm prone to do in in new campaigns, having played D and D quite a bit, I just need to keep myself entertained with weirder and weirder ideas. Well, speaking of that, um, the next one on our list that we're going to go over is one that I put on the list specifically because I don't like it, and I know you would fucking hate it. Good. Big eyes, small mouth. So. Big Eye Smallmouth is a universal role-playing game that is built around all of the tropes of anime. 
Oh, no. <laughs> no. So if you want to play a magical girl... I don't. Uh, you sure do. Fighting no. next to her friend, the Pokemon trainer. No. <laughs> and both of them are trying to get Goku to join the fight for no. good. Oh. <laughs> Big ass small mouth is your game. Uh. And, uh, <laughs> um, my fa- Just the description is causing me physical pain. Oh, no. It's like system wise, it's actually pretty slick. Like, it's not fantastic it's it's nothing really revolutionary it was a clearly it's not fantastic three stats you've got skills and then like the the place where the the system really shines is in its traits system like its benefits and flaws system okay uh, because that's where a lot of your character creation is being done so you've got your stats you've got your skills and then on top of that your stats are things like I'm a karate boy or I drive Gundams um, or something. Well, pick an anime. I teach Gundams karate. You teach Gundams karate <laughs> and then they karate kick the moon. Yeah. Um, so like the, the trait system was kind of interesting, but like the, the thing that I find most interesting about Big Eyes Small Mouth is mm. a lot of the drama that happened around Big Eyes Small Mouth. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, there was a Canadian role-playing game company that just disappeared and mm. completely fucked a few of the, uh, the indie role-playing game community members. So like, uh, this is news to me, but good for them. Is it? Okay. So like, um, Nobilis got uh-huh. in and like ended up with like a backlog that White Wolf had to fill. Oh, okay. Um, because White Wolf made a deal with this company that they were going to be distributing through a company called Guardians of Order. And Guardians of Order, the guy who ran the thing, just stopped answering his his phone. That's not a great way to make your dreams come true. Right? Uh, stopped answering emails, completely disappeared off the map for like six months. And like this is at the time that I was trying to get the newest version of Big Eye Small Mouth onto the, the game store shelves. Right. And I was trying to get more copies of Nobilis into the store. And I was trying to get more copies of the, uh, like White Wolf made a Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game that was pretty good. Okay. Um, I was trying to get that on the shelves and I just could not get a hold of anybody who had this stuff. Right. And it was because this guy decided that he wanted to go and be a real estate agent instead and didn't tell anybody. Oh, you should, like, hey, do whatever you want, but, like, you should probably tell people that you don't yep. want to run your company anymore. Yeah. Uh, he didn't pay a bunch of the people that he was supposed to pay. He, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of stock that ended up just sitting in a warehouse somewhere for a long time. Uh, so he got sued into oblivion, right? I don't actually know how all of that worked out. I assume so. I would assume that, like, there are possibly still some lawsuits going on right now um yeah like at least when tmg could no longer continue fulfilling kickstarters with the income from the next kickstarter they had the decency to tell everyone (laughs) that they were fucked yeah no he uh he put out a a non-apology apology and uh just kind of disappeared and from what i understand he's he's back on the the scene but i'm not entirely sure what the capacity of that is he's trying to sell people houses 
I mean, he he was, and then he decided to get back on the, uh, the no, role playing game scene. He's role playing as <laughs> a real estate agent. My character is a real estate agent, and I'm gonna get you fifty APRs. I don't actually know how houses work. That, you, none of what you said is the same. <laughs> I'm a millennial. I'm never gonna own a house. That's true. <laughs> All right, I think we got time for one more. Oh, but the, okay. Let, yeah, t- talk to me about big eyes, small mouth, real quick. No, no. Roll what that is. Give me yeah. the number, and then I just want to quickly. Okay, so let's just do a quick like, uh, a quick like two second reaction to all of the other ones, and then we'll go into that last one. Okay. All right. Cool. So, so just run down the list from top to bottom. All right, from top to bottom, we've got Top Secret, which is the game that uh, started this off. It was the one that had a system where you roll a D6 and a D10 to get between uh, 11 and 69 on your dice. Stupid. Don't like it. Uh, Traveler, which was, in a lot of ways, the first skill-based RPG. It's a a sci-fi role-playing game that had, like, 12 bazillion expansion books um, and is a little bit math of the game. Uh, why aren't these all math the game though uh i mean a lot of them are math of the game although the next one is uh angst the game oh um, yeah yeah this is uh, yeah, some world of darkness i threw world of darkness on there just for you because i know how much you love vampires <laughs> yeah this is the mcr role-playing system <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> you, you have to wear a certain amount of uh mascara and eyeshadow in order to be able to play that game if you could condense hot topic into 47 pages of a rule book. This is what it is. <laughs> uh, I threw Rifts on there because I think that Rifts is interesting, if not good. Yeah, we uh, touched on Rifts a bit. Yeah, we did touch on Rifts a bit. Uh, Shadowrun is... Um, it was great when it came out, and it's got some serious flaws now. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen it in action, and I was like, man, that has potential and sounds interesting, but then just, again, math the game. One thing that I do want to talk about at some point, maybe is like a whole episode, is um, tech debt in role-playing games. Okay. Where like coming out with new editions of a role-playing game, you're beholden to certain ideas that came in the games before. Yeah. And that's something that I see a lot in Shadowrun, is that the newer editions of the game are still holding on to some of the older ideas in the game, not because those ideas are elevating the game experience in any real way, but just because that's what the gamers are expecting. Right. And well, that, I was going to say the flip side of that is when you come out and you do none of that, like fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons, and you just piss yep. off your entire user base, apparently. Yep. Uh, I threw Paranoia on there just for you. Oh, I had a friend in junior high who was just absolutely obsessed with making me try to play the bacon narwhal of RPGs. And I, <laughs> God damn, I gave it a, a solid junior high level try and was so <laughs> off put by how dumb everyone and everything was in the game that i could not give it a fair shake and i really honestly don't want to i think the best way to play paranoia is to spend the entire game pretending that you're invaders in oh actually that would probably help a lot yeah yeah uh gurps what if rpg was like a math test it's I a, have seen 800 GURPS source books and I've never once opened one because it never, ever, ever looked like any real cohesive thought had been put into them. 
it, there really has been. Um, Steve Jackson put together a very serviceable game. Um, speaking with like the the GNS style breakdowns, it's very heavily on the simulationist side. Like they're trying to cover as much of reality as possible with GURPS. And I think out of all of the game systems that we've seen come out, it is the one that's come the closest to being a simulationist system. Um, and it was also used in Fallout. Boy, there's nothing I love more in my escapist fantasies than realistic simulations. Well, one of the things that I like, one of the reasons that I mentioned that it was used in Fallout is because when you have a computer doing all of that math for you, the game system runs slick as shit. So you just need to have some sort of like savant running your game, or you need to have like a, a Google Home sitting next to you. <laughs> no, no, no. Just to <laughs> like, like program that shit. Like get, just get your a Alexa neurodivergent really human computer sitting at the end of the table. <laughs> Fair. All right. All right. Uh, Ars Magica was the introduction of troop role playing, where you're not just playing one character; you're actually playing like a group of characters. I kind of like that idea, and I wish there were some better rules for it and more systems. Yeah. Um, that being said, it seems like the kind of thing that leads to one-on-one RPGs, which are something that I think should be illegal. <laughs> okay. Uh, a couple of the things that I like in the the Ars Magica system is that it's seasonal. And so for some seasons, you're playing like this crazy powerful wizard character. And in other seasons, you're playing that wizard character's minions. Um, you're going off and like in the, the summer and spring and fall months, you're like running off on these quests to do your wizard's bidding. What, and, and then in the in, winter, he hibernates like, yeah. And in the, in the winter, you're casting like crazy big spells. Oh. Um, and that was something that I also saw used in a different role playing game system, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Nah. I forgot. Cabolds okay. uh, Ate My Baby is a... Say that word again. Cabolds Ate My Baby. Mm. Are we just going to have a whole episode on pronunciation differences? Uh, are you a kobolds I am purist? a kobold purist. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I care too much for the both of us. Okay. That's fair. Anyways, Cobolds um, Ate My is... Baby. Cobalt Hit My Baby is a dumb game where you play a troop of kobolds who need to get a baby to feed to King Torg. All oh, King Torg. you're playing the dumb people. You are playing the dumb people. And so you have to go on this quest to find the baby and then bring the baby back. And it is a game where you are going to have like 35 characters over the course of that one session because... Uh, for every failure that you end up rolling, you have to roll on the Kabold Nasty Death table. Yeah, I already hear Yakety Sax playing in the background. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is a game Isn't about it? hermaphroditic homoerotic sex aliens that have anemones for dicks. Um, and that isn't actually the problem with the game. What is the i'm terrified to ask what is the actual problem with the game <laughs> so the actual problem with the game is that the system is terrible okay like it's based on a series of books that came out quite some time ago that is about like these um bishonen aliens with anemones for dicks that are slowly taking over the planet earth 
um, by converting young men to become them through sex. Mm. Um, or like blood transfer. I can't remember exactly, but I, I never actually read the books. Good. I think um, you'd be worse off for having done it. The Just the description alone already tells me we are not dealing with the top tier game makers out there. It seems like they got really obsessed with the idea of weird dicks and then just didn't bother to go any further. Well, it's just like, it's very much like if you tried to take the standard second edition D&D rules and use them for a romance story. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the, the entire idea of Rithuthu, and I'm like, I'm not going to rag on the books. I'm sure they, they have a solid fan base. I'm sure there's people who like them um i don't want to know those people but like the if you're gonna make a role-playing game system matters and yeah so you can't just have a bad system that's completely disconnected from the type of story that you're trying to tell and in this case that's exactly what happened and then you try to hold it together with them many dicks yeah yeah and i mean there's only so much that they can grip so they're prehensile <laughs> they are <laughs> um okay Sky Realms of Jorun is a very cool setting where humanity has uh, colonized a gas giant planet that okay. has um, sections of cloud that have solidified. Okay. And so we're actually like, all of the land masses aren't land masses. They're part of the cloud system and they're flying through the air. Okay. And the setting is very cool. And it's very well developed. It's got its own language. It has a fairly unique magic system that is then immediately back to spells per day. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, nothing you've said so far indicates that it deserves its own unique game system. It just sounds like a cool setting, like Dark Sun or something. It is a cool setting and yeah. does deserve like a, a setting book in a Shh. game that doesn't suck. Okay, um, so not D&D but, either? Well, it was it was very much built like D anD D. Again, it's one of those like D anD D light games yeah, yeah. from the old school, um, which was to its detriment because mm -hmm. it could have been a, a better system. Not even a better system, just a different system. Okay. Uh, Everyone uh... is John. Is a game where the entire party plays one dude, and you are playing. Um, one of john's it's being john malkovich the rpg sort of except that you're playing one of john's sins you're playing one of the voices in his head that is trying to get him to do stuff and okay. it's a competitive role-playing game where you are trying to thwart the other players in getting what they want so that you can get what you want before john dies that sounds like a one shot, not a whole role playing system. It is a one shot, and it is great. okay. Um, okay. John dies after two hours, so like you you can play this while taking a break from another game. Oh yeah, you can just have an off yeah. week, or or even just like if you're if you're having one of those like massive game weekends where you end up playing for like twelve hours in a day, then you, you can oh. take a two hour break in the middle of the day, play a different game while you're like munching snacks or whatever and uh then move on to your your normal game i suppose give yourself that mental kind of yeah. reset i mean i know not everybody okay. is playing like 12 hour days of role-playing games but 
I th- I think the longest I've ever done was maybe eight hours, and that was like a fucking lot. amateur. Listen, I have responsibilities, a job, other things to do. I, as much as I love my friends and our game sessions, I don't want to spend that much time sitting at a table. That's fair. And then uh, Fiasco is a game that I have played a few times and I really enjoy. Um,. This is the, it's got like a red yeah. book, right? Like I think I've seen, seen this thing yeah, floating around. Yeah, it's uh, more of a storytelling tool than a role-playing game, I feel. Um, and it, I think, is a little bit responsible for the um, style of Dimension 20 role-playing games, where you have like two scenes of people that are each involved oh. in this, the system. So like, um, when it is your turn in fiasco you choose one or two other players in the group to share the scene with you right it's a dmless system so you decide at the beginning of that scene what it is you want and then you get into that scene with two of the other players that are at the table and they may or may not want you to get that thing so you through play determine whether or not you got that thing and at the end of the first half of the session so you go around the table and everybody has a turn to do one scene each Uh at the end of that you decide um how well everybody is doing and then there's a big twist and then that big twist everything starts circling the fucking drain for every character around the table gotcha i'm already iffy on it just because i like having like an adjudicator if that makes sense i don't really dig the idea of like well there's something about this that just seems like prone to conflict Mm. um and as good as i am with conflict i don't want my session of role-playing whatever to just be there arguing with people about how i'm right (laughs) that's fair I can, I can do that at work. I, I feel that the the nature of the game promotes cooperation, and it isn't really competitive, right? Like it, you you are okay. all working together to create the best story that you can. Um, Except you have objectives that are contrary to the other your character objectives. has has objectives, right? And it's there's a bit of a separation there. Okay, a little bit. Is there though? Because like getting what you want, uh, like. One, all of the characters are terrible people in a fiasco. Um, so getting okay. what you want isn't necessarily the best thing for the, the story. And the conflicts that are involved, win or lose, like you, you can still uh, do very well in a game of fiasco if you're losing. If that makes sense. I suppose... Like that, I have played a couple of games of fiasco uh, where I have straight it's a up hard died, sell for me. and I've done very well in that game. <laughs> I guess it did, I guess it depends how you define like success, yeah. but that's a whole yeah. other a whole other topic for a different podcast. And our last game, the one that I rolled and the one we're coming back to is Yeah, so the, the, big, the big finale is Dogs in the Vineyard. So this is okay. from the um, indie role playing game push of the late 90s early 2000s 
you okay. play a hound of God. You have a gun on your hip and a Bible under your arm, and you are rolling around a Wild West-inspired setting, trying to set things right that aren't right. Already off to a great start. The conceit is that God is real. The Bible is true. Yes, both true the things. The Book of Mormon is also right and true. Uh, all right, we're getting a little <laughs> off track. And the actions of a single person in this world can have a cascading effect on the morality of the rest of the people in that world. So well, yeah, the yes. example game that I've been in is the the uh, God's dogs roll up to a town where everybody be fucking. Right, like it is just debauchery everywhere. In the streets, people are getting naked. And Sodom and Gomorrah. The initial impression that you get from that is that like obviously somebody's being lustful and awful. Um Of course. But in this clearly. game there's always a source. There's always a cause. There's always that one thing that set the whole thing off. And now your job as God's dogs are to find that source and take care of it. Okay, so the the assertion is that the default state of the world is in accordance with God's mm -hmm. law, and then something comes along to pervert it, and you have to find that source and quash exactly. it. Okay. Interesting concept. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of down for it. Um, I have always been partial to um, interesting quasi uh abrahamic like fantasy spirituality did you ever see that movie priest i think no. it was uh the priests are vampire hunters oh, yeah. because vampires have taken over the world um and then they have to keep the vampires in weird like off-site uh, little dungeons mm. um, and then the priests ride around on cool space hover motorcycles <laughs> alright you had me in, in the first half <laughs> <laughs> um. anyways I just like any, any of that stuff like Constantine or, or that priest mm. movie or just stuff that like takes um, like Christian and Jewish um, like like mysticism and then kind of cranks it up to like a fantasy mm. level I'm really down for so this this dovetails perfectly with that um, the system is pretty solid um it's relatively simplistic um very story story driven um and yeah like it's it's not something that i would want to play a full campaign of necessarily unless it had like a very clear okay. direction like I, it's it's the sort of game that i want to have an endpoint, right like in mind okay. before we start um, so I would be willing okay. to play like four or five sessions of it, but it isn't something that I would want to play like an ongoing long-term campaign of. Um, sure. but yeah, all of the sessions that I've played of it have been fantastic and you get to like 
One of the things that I feel like we don't get a lot of opportunities to do is just get into the head of somebody who knows that they are morally correct, knows that they are right, and yeah. is just trying to stop the evil, right? So, like, everybody sure. in this game is sure. a cleric, but everybody in this game also okay. has a six-shooter on their hip. Because yes. occasionally you a, find... A consecrated, holy divine weapon of yeah. wrath occasionally you find that the local mm-hmm. mayor has been stupping his daughter and sometimes a motherfucker needs a bullet in the head right Perfect. and that, that that is god's will so be it and it's not just that he's doing a bad thing it's that his bad thing is doing bad things to yeah. other people and causing it not yeah, sin in this world is contagious it it spreads yeah from its source yeah, okay. It's really cool. I, I'm yeah, I'm so sweet. down. All right, so that, that's all the games that I had to run past you. Well, I only hated almost <laughs> all of them. <laughs> no, I mean, out of all of that, I would definitely be interested in exploring more about dogs in the vineyard. Um, I do think I like the idea that you said of like something like everyone is John, uh, being just a little role playing diversion from your meteor stuff. Um, Kobold's Ate My Baby sounds like a fun evening, but not something I would want to do for more than a couple sessions. And everything else sounds like So we're not going to start like a weekly Wraithuthu game? Is that... Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> you don't want an enemy dick? I can't even say it. I'm dead I, I, <laughs> I'm fine with my traditional genitalia, thank you. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of this episode of No Plot, Only Lore. If you're looking for more, you can find us at noplotonlylore.com and all the very best podcast platforms. If you liked what you heard today, please share, rate, and review the show to feed my never-ending need for attention and validation. 